This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. (laughs) Boy! Welcome to 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ. This is Cat Bus Russ. You can follow what I'm watching on Letterboxd. Try to get yourself some previews of what upcoming episodes may be. My username there is CM Darth, as in Cool Movies Darth. My fellow podcasters told me that wasn't working. This week is going to be another look back at my great conversations with The Poetic Critic. That's The Poetic Critic on Letterboxd. We're going to discuss our disdain, I guess, for millennial thought when it comes to modern cinema, or I should say great cinema. Let's just face it, Marvel, modern, not too great. But we will have our debut episode, the official kickoff of 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ. So we'll do that uh, hopefully Tuesday. I'll have that drop and everything for the third season will get rolling. But to really get this show rolling, I need guests. And... With that, you can be on the show by just offering a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. As long as we focus on sub-100-minute material, I think we're going to have, as they say in Shaun of the Dead, a slice of fried gold. My email address is rustabus07 at gmail.com. Send me an email there, and if you can't think of something under 100 minutes, just give me anything. I'm going to figure out that formula. If we happen to talk about what you want, more power to us. So... Rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps. This is a Spotify podcast, so I think that pays the bills. Otherwise, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, thank Stacia Harden for looking after my ass the uh, last, oh, 19 years. And looking. I hope she's doing the same for everybody else she touched in her life. And I hope she's taking good care of the one-eared angel, Skimble the cat. So I do really need to step back though so yeah we're gonna trash the millennials and the gen z a little bit but the more fun part of our conversation we're gonna talk about kubrick allen disney and vampires and maybe some critical race theory let's get controversial let's get dangerous that would have been great if darkwing duck had a movie we could have talked about last week but hopefully you enjoy the show and can't wait to Really kick things off uh, next week. Little hands says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. On this island, in this building, through this door, down this hallway, lies the most frightening experience of your life. Prepare yourself for they came from within if you think you're not afraid of the dark. If you think you have a strong stomach. If you feel nothing can shock you. If you believe you've seen everything. If you say you don't scare easily. What are they? Raging demons that must be exercised. Bloodthirsty creatures that must be killed. Or incarnations of absolute evil. They came from within. They possess men, women, and children and drive them to acts of unbelievable horror. No one is safe from them. No power on earth can stop them. The only escape is death. They came from within. If this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, 
You'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick. Rated R. All right. It says we're going. So this is 90forchill.com, the podcast. Um, this is your host, Russ Stevens. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, not planning on having an episode next week. That's because Facebook's my primary uh, social media device, and I'm just not into people wishing me happy birthday that I may not have talked to in since high school. <laughs> just doesn't really seem too sincere. So, how are we doing over in Morton? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. That's good. So... You are gracing us. The poetic critic is gracing us once again with their presence. This time we're a little more planned out. So uh, I don't know if that's a good thing because uh, I don't. It's just a little more. Right. But, you know, as I say, Allie, you you really, you know, I kind of dropped just surprise you at the pod hoping to get 20 minutes. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We get uh, Allie's favorite episode. Um, (laughs) So. But uh, I let you choose the theme since you're doing me a favor. As for uh, all my other listeners, I'm open for more guests. I'm sure Rory and I can keep this up at least for a while. I know you're planning to go back to the uh, work. At work. Our- just, just say work. Oh. All right. Well, either way, work, work hours are going to change things up, possibly. So A little. Yeah. I can still help out here, I think, you know, on weekends off, but anyway. No, I understand. Okay, so regardless, I definitely need uh, assistance uh, with the pod, and, you know, I got ideas like Mark L. Lester. How the heck was he considered a legitimate enough director to get onto that uh, petition for the NC-17 rating change? (laughs) I mean, I love commando and i love uh really love showdown in little tokyo but uh to have his name up there with uh spielberg scorsese you know everybody uh south park is referenced at some point right it's a little odd so but as i said uh because i am uh getting a favor from big sis uh she wanted to do a theme of movies pre-1980. Yes. Uh, I'll explain what my thinking was when you asked me to do this. You might have noticed it again, but in the past week, there was a big kerfluffle on film Twitter, as some people like to call it, regarding... Uh, there have been some comments. I'm not going to name the names because I don't want anybody to get harassed over this because it got pretty ugly for some people. But there was some talk, people who were in the habit of bragging about how they didn't watch older movies. Like this guy had come on saying that he'd only just watched Citizen Kane a few days ago. And it was breaking a rule of his that he didn't watch anything produced prior to 1975. And on top of that, he he didn't like the movie. And and the response to this was from a lot of folks like me who are older people, granted, that 
there seems to be this real pride some people have in not watching older movies. And I think 1975 was an interesting cutoff for that because if Jaws, so I mean, it's the beginning of blockbuster cinema. Yeah, roughly so. And the it's the beginning of blockbuster cinema, but also late New Hollywood, because as uh, Drew McQueenie and Scott Weinberg discussed on 80s all over, the 80s don't really begin for film until roughly early 1984. Because until then, there is still a lot of new Hollywood work being produced and a lot of stuff you wouldn't see now. now well, I mean, you still had, um, you know, uh, you could say that, but I mean, you had Raiders, you had uh, two Star Wars movies. Right. There's a lot of overlap. Okay. It, right. It's a transitional, it's the transitional phase. It's like, it's like these yeah. movies at 80, 82 trying to sneak into my proud gen x at right 81 now let's go back for a minute okay with and on top of these people making these kind of comments on twitter and getting some backlash uh, martin scorsese wrote another article i think it was for esquire this time in which he was talking about frederico fellini's work mm. and in the essay, which is mostly about the Fellini stuff. Right. I, I, I skimmed it over, but it was mostly about Fellini. He does bring up the issue of how modern movie going has become dominated by this focus by major American studios on content over art, the, tying into the comments he'd made about how he wasn't a fan of the Marvel movies. Uh, that got him in a lot of hot water online from people who felt he was selling those movies short. Well, and, truth be told, you have Iron Man and Black Panther, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy that they really say are art. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen a relative, maybe a third of the Marvel movies, and I'm not that interested in seeing more than that. I, I do still need to see Black Panther, but that's one of the few exceptions I can think of right. that I feel I'd, that would be worth my while. Mm. So it led to this focus on it, what is this generational or cultural divide? It, there's overlap, of course, between a generation and a culture, but this increasing feeling that the kind of people who like Marvel movies and which has some overlap with people who disdain older movies because it's so common for, and are almost, some of whom are almost proud to boast about not knowing from older movies is deeply frustrating, especially at a time when, although there are more avenues to get movies than we had say in the 1980s, that they're not being used to their best and fullest. Because another point Scorsese made was that the major services was how major services like Netflix, which he has worked with, so he's not a complete old fogey in that regard, and Amazon or Disney Plus don't do much to curate the content, to, to encourage people to, to make it easy for people to see the best material that's out there and to 
encourage people to be more adventuresome and have a better sense of their film history. I, I can, well, you can really blame that, I think, of once uh, Netflix got into original media. And when That's part of it. Because I, I watched Battleship Potemkin on, on Netflix. So. Yeah, uh, but, but in, like, in the early years, they were pretty, they weren't too bad about that sort of thing. They but were dependent solely on that. And once everybody wanted to get into streaming, it, it thinned the game out. There's yeah there and right there there's been a lot more i mean there's more paywall it feels like there's more paywalls than there were even in the days when we had vhs and a few pay cable movie networks for uh, watching some time i don't know if i'd say that um because in the pay it's part about cord cutting you're you are going to save money for the price for the most part by it being a cord cutter um, right i don't think there's really much difference there I think it's really just more of the fact that we have a generation and I can attest to this because I was talking because I when I'm at the bank, um, I uh, come home from watching like uh, a movie on that uh, movie from Netflix DVD.com. It's just DVD.com. And, you know, I put that in the outgoing mail with every <laughs> with all the receipts and such we're sending out. And, you know, I'm getting judged by people who are, let's see, I think the largest age difference it right now is uh, six, 17 years. <laughs> so, um, like, they're, they're thinking, I get a lot of grandpa vibes, so don't dare complain about my back. Um, and I was, and they're basically saying, look, if it's not streaming, I'm not really interested. So. Yeah, but you have this current generation who, great, we're kind of, um, you dragged me into this now, um, that um, just don't see the point of even getting physical media anymore. And right. Phys physical media is uh, really struggling at this point. It has become more and more of a niche market. It's all about um, steel books. Yeah, steel books. I mean, iTunes has really gotten good, like um, extra features for anything made in the last five years. Right. You're, you're getting, you're going to save money, save space. So, uh, so Steve Jobs' ghost is the blame for all this is what I'm saying. Well, maybe. Um there appear to be worries that the Warner Archive Burn On Demand service is going to be shut down. Well, in there to, you know, it you have TCM on HBO Max, so it might not be a total loss. Well, it is a total loss if you're looking for, for physical media. Warner Archive is handling. Right. I, I, I understand that, but I'm just saying this isn't me looking for um streaming services showing albert peon's heat seeker right uh it the, these movies are gonna these movies have a place right and on the whole that so if you bring up the issue of curation though you get complaints from people saying it's gatekeep gatekeeping in the sense that it only wants the films traditionally thought of as the American and to a lesser extent international film canon to be appreciated and that 
there's a stereotype that all those were has sprung up that all those works are about old white guys and are really racist and sexist to to down to the last minute and that modern cinema including the marvel movies is much more racially and experiment diverse and socially experimental well which, I that in and of itself isn't entirely true. Well, I could um, actually comment on this um, recently. I got myself into a little Twitter spat with um, some, I think they might have a podcast uh, on t- there on Twitter, and I'm not afraid to mention them. I mean, heck, could create a dialogue. Uh, grandest save them all, AEWWE, I don't know their handle, but they were uh, complaining about the owner of AEW, Tony Khan, announcing that on Bleacher Report Live, they're going to feature the semi-final match in the women's U.S. side of the title eliminated tournament on BR Live, Bleacher, Bleacher Report Live. And they were complaining about, no, this should be on TNT Wednesday night. And I'm saying, no, I think this is a good call because the two wrestlers they have, are excellent it doesn't matter what their gender is i'm just sold on trying to find this online match and you know i that's that's how you sell things is basically that you put the best thing you have out there regardless sex sex in wrestling is i mean i tried saying it like look there aren't the women you think they deserve an hour half the time equal time when there isn't an equal amount of wrestlers and mm-hmm. it's a very, and I didn't go too deep into it, it's a very chaotic uh, society on the independent scene where a promotion is just happy to get one female wrestler and then they'll just find girls willing to wrestle her. And it's very, I mean, heck, there was a, the speaking out movement in the summer, which is basically wrestling me too, about how certain guys treated women who are trying to make a name for themselves in the business um so you know i'm just saying like okay look women are getting a showcase don't complain about it and if there were more women they deserve more time if there were they were better wrestlers i hated now that might be it might get me in some hot water but again there's just not the talent pool um so i'm just saying like don't complain about this <laughs> don't complain about this this is what it is it will get better. And no, people want this change now or they want to feel like they are a, a cultural warrior. It's very much like Obama said that uh, you just can't be a keyboard activist. And I think that's what a lot of this uh, film Twitter stuff you're talking about is. Uh, were all the movies in the from before 1975 pretty racist and sexist um yeah i will i will i'm just just gonna say as um you only live twice as being one of my favorite bond movies and that's probably the most racist bond movie uh yeah i mean there's just it's, it's society and you do have to i mean i'm all about putting warnings or you know cultural reference uh before the feature so i'm on the side of but it's art and regardless of what the story is that's why we do remakes 
That's why we, we fix things going forward. You can't go back, which um, I think is the big problem. Pardon that long rant. Well, that the problem is, is that the notion that people who like old movies are gatekeepers who don't appreciate the problematic aspects of these films is completely untrue. Right, and we just, so, I just stated that. <laughs> I mean, it, I, and, I, I know plenty of people, though, who will say, oh, you don't like old cinema. And then, oh, yeah, they shouldn't be, we shouldn't be telling people that, oh, just watch it and accept it for what it is. I think, right. I think we do need these warnings. I, In other words, I want to see Song of the South again. <laughs> Put a warning the, on it. I want to see it. But it speaks to a lot of these younger audiences not realizing that we are already working on that with uh, problematic works and also making more of an effort to get the canon expanded. Last year, there was a discussion in the New York Times of how the Criterion Collection has been kind of skewed over the years to uh, white American and European directors um, and while Asian cinema is fairly well depicted, not, yeah, not necessarily so. Southeast Asian cinema, and there's still a lack of black film and female filmmakers who have been included in the physical media releases. Okay, there's, there's no question about that, yes. However, we are already starting to see some change with stuff like Criterion Channel, which is the streaming service that rose out of the ashes of the Filmstruck service that they were running at TCM. Mm -hmm. uh, I've uh, decided to take the plunge and subscribe to that service for at least a year. I okay. signed up a few weeks ago. You signed up for the year then? And, yeah. Okay. It's $99 for a year, $99.99 for a full year. Yeah, so you're saving probably yeah, it's eleven dollars a month. So that, there is okay, that's that's quite a deal. You're you're okay. Yeah, and the thing about Criterion Channel, I've found, is that they are making a real effort to focus on smaller filmmakers, women, uh, uh, non-white filmmakers, and international scene more than they can with the physical releases so far. Okay. Not all the movies that have had physical Criterion releases are on Criterion Channel. That's partially because of the deals that, say, HBO Max has with Turner Classic Movies, and that there are some titles that they have to share. But what they do have is a lot of stuff that isn't turning up on streaming services anyway. They have a lot of collections. Yeah. Talking about curating stuff. And these include shorts and films. And sometimes they do have to rotate movies in and out of them. Like of they course. only have certain titles. Like last October, they did a big 70s horror retrospective. And it temporary, some of the movies they included in that were only temporary, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78. Mm -hmm. But a bunch of titles they still have around they still have listing up and they still have 18 of the movies they featured and those include texas chainsaw massacre 
Season of the Witch, The Wicker Man, uh, some of Cronenberg's early features. Okay, I was about to say, I mean, what, what I binged Shivers last night for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got that one. And so they'll, they'll, keep that, they'll keep some of these collections around even if they can't keep all the titles at a time. Mm-hmm. But some of the other titles they have right now are Afrofuturism, Cool. Uh, Australian New Wave. Yeah, I think I'm a little overrated, but <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, start, uh, I think it was um, listening to the um, what was the pod? It had David Holmes. Dave Holmes is one of the hosts. Uh-huh. Uh, it was on, uh, well, one of the guests. It was uh, Screen Drafts. Oh, um, Fictitious Bands. Yeah. And the Australian film Starstruck, or yes, that's a good film. Okay, yes, no, he was raving about it and doing his <laughs> damnedest to get everybody to watch it. Um, it, it, it it made that list. Uh, yeah. Spinal Tap was way too low. I mean, so was probably Inside the Long Day. I mean, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty good list. Um, very white. They could have just thrown uh, and uh, fear of a black hat in <laughs> to fix that. But. I don't know. That owes so much to Spinal Tap conceptually. I can see why it would have felt a little redundant. Ah. Right, it was on screen picks recently. So it's like, and I have an old VHS from Second Cinema of that. So yeah, it's close to my heart. <laughs> right. No, it's a good film. Yeah. But. Anyway, some of the other collections Criterion has right now is New Korean Cinema. Oh, awesome. Like Save the Green Planet, Tale of Two Sisters. I imagine some of the more aggressive stuff. I'm not saying uh, I saw the devil, but, you know, think featuring our featuring the guy from Old Boy kind of sucked. I, I well. Or maybe I'm just very narrow on my Korean cinema. I still haven't watched Parasite yet. But other things they, collections they have include, they have a lot of fun coming up with some of these collections. They do ones that are by actor or director, as you might expect. Like this month they've been doing, they have a program of Cary Grant comedies, a run through of Mae West's work and, um, the Peter Sellers retrospective because they got the streaming rights to a documentary about one of his films. Exclusive rights. They decided they'd also do a little season. And they, on top of that, most of the films they got for it are the 1950s and 60s films he did in England that aren't as well known in this country. Yeah, including one that was nearly lost for many years, Mr. Topaz, which is the only movie he officially directed. That's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And Criterion also has a lot of shorts, which are often included in the collections, like the Afrofuturism collection has both short films and features. Right. And it, Criterion Channel also finally broke one of their, the biggest blind spots that the physical releases have is that they can finally do animation in some depth. Okay. So beyond just Fantastic Planet. Yeah. Um, uh, way beyond that in some cases, because they get a lot of shorts. Like okay. they, did, they did a Bill Plimpton retrospective. 
working through a lot of his shorts and features. They've done John and Faith Hubley, who are two of the biggest indie animators of the 1960s. And that leads up to another thing, and I think this gets us closer to what I want to tackle here, is they have a channel that they have a collection that they expand on with a new film each week called the Saturday Matinees Collection. Saturday Matinees, let's see if I can pull it up here on the main, on my computer. It takes a minute because they kind of bury it at the bottom of the big list, but Saturday Matinees is specifically aimed at families and children. But the films they feature aren't necessarily the ones you think of first. What they have, some of them are titles that are in the physical collection and some of them aren't. Again, some of them rotate in and out. But they've included a lot of silent comedies, including several of Chaplin's features, Safety Last, which is Harold Lloyd's most famous film. Uh, so they have some Buster Keaton. Mm. They've also included films about children or that heavily involved them, like the David Lean version of Great Expectations, the several of Sabu's vehicles from the 1940s. They've included, uh, they've included a lot of films that kids of older generations grew up with in one way or another, like the original version of The Blob, all right, yeah, uh, Steve McQueen's uh, debut. Yep. You say Sabu, though, and I'm thinking, I didn't know the homicidal, genocidal, suicidal maniac was around in the 40s. Oh. Cheap joke, cheap joke. I mean, I'm trying to win wrestling that fans over. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, they have, the, they have uh, Godzilla 54 and Destroy All Monsters. Ah. Of course, being kind of an offshoot of the big uh, box set they did in the, the physical. Godzilla, right. And... They have, they've had several animated features, mostly foreign ones. They have Watership Down. Ah. Yeah. Haven't had the nerve to watch that one. I I just, I don't know what it is. Funny is I just don't like getting evil. No, I think Watership Down is excellent. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah. They have some of the, uh, the French animator Michel Ocelot's Kirikou films, which are adaptations of African folk tales, which are very, very nicely made. And and keeping in with your 90 for chill concept, you know, a lot of these movies are well under 90 minutes. Like older movies, like your your Silence or your Ray Harryhausen effects movie. Or... half the time when you talk about uh ray harryhausen it's like yeah could they really afford to <laughs> do two hours um in a sense uh oh. right so i mean what i'm i don't know if you still have more to go and say about this um generational um issue that we are obviously not going to resolve with this i mean it's a good conversation to be had that all right, we there's a generation that's or two generations. You know, Gen Z probably wants to be even more aggressive than the millennials, or at least that's that was it could the be big social media thing I had. Like, 
millennials with their hipster parts down their hair. Yeah. Gen Z but, saying, no, you can't have that. And then the millennials, well, I'm going to part it even harder. So, right. But a bunch of like white kids looking for identity. There, I said. But what's interesting is that this whole program mixes up these kind of movies along with, like, they have, they've had Marx Brothers movies, they've had early Abbott and Costello, they have the film adaptation of Pygmalion. Ooh. Because yeah from the 1930s well i'm, I'm um, campaign they, that, that from the 70s british the, yeah they have the the railway children from 1970 which was one of the biggest british children's films of that era mm -hmm. and is as big as any for that culture as anything of the disney movies of that period would be for us and some of the more recent ones they added included they got the last unicorn up on streaming. I don't know if that was available on streaming before. Uh, maybe Netflix had it, but I mean that again. We're talking years ago when I was working uh, primary yeah. second shifts and could stay right. watching uh, drunkenly watching next Netflix for till five six a.m. in the morning. Um, oh, the good and, old that's, and that's going to the fact that you know kids up through the nineties saw so many of these movies. Oh or could have found them with a little effort if it was on v cable or VHS. Cause you remember how Nickelodeon or Disney yeah. channel built their schedules out with all sorts of stuff like the red balloon, which is also in this collection. I'm really looking for Unico myself. Unico, I think those two films are available on Tubi, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's the original. Which, yeah, it's the original dubs too. Well, okay. With that said, how much uh, live television are you really watching, or live television, or dare I say, you know, DVR television are you watching now, or have you pretty much gone to a streaming diet? I don't really watch any uh, live television at all at this point, or wait for it on streaming, really. I just haven't been as interested in that kind of long form form format right now. Oh no, I, I totally get that. But um I, I, I'm more focused on movies, so uh, right. No, and you know, that's actually something I wanted to address. Um so uh Netflix, you can't get mad at me because I'm paying for the extra screens access, but are we really using Netflix that much? Um I don't use it that often. They just don't have enough of movie selection going that, on that's that's where i am too so i better just uh ask mom if she because Rand showed mom some enola homes and it's like all right i better see if mom's keeping track of that <laughs> well it's up to you guys it doesn't matter much to me well it's, i mean i'm the only one paying for it Jeez. <laughs> right it's up to you yeah so maybe um yeah so i'll just have to talk make make sure with mom so I mean, I'll probably be back with Stranger Things 4, um, but, you know, that's that's just it. It's not, I'm there for the mood. I'm not, I mean, things are shaping up. I don't have to watch Tiger King. I did watch Tiger King. I enjoyed Tiger King. It was great seeing Joel McHale do the, do the reunion special. But I'm, I'm still upset about Joel McHale and... Uh, 
Oh my gosh. Um, who who did the uh she had a show, a weekly show on um Netflix. Uh Ginger was a writer on uh on um Seth Meyers. Shoot. Hosted the last uh press White House press corps. See what you did. I don't know. I definitely need to save that 13 bucks a month. All right. But um, anyway, so is there anything more to address with the um, dialogue on film Twitter, hashtag film Twitter, uh, in regards to this? I mean, mean, it sounds pretty nasty because everything on the internet is nasty. Do not read the comments sections. That is the only reason. (laughs) Well, exploding bunnies but otherwise the reminder not to read the comments section is the primary reason to watch uh ralph breaks the internet you have to remember that right i don't think there's much more to be said about the current state of this debate okay not right now anyway but it does bring me to the fact that there are so many interesting older movies people could be checking out and giving a chance to if they put in a little more effort but on the other side of the coin and this was really what Scorsese was talking about the corporations that have the rights to these movies could be working on that too hiring people who can curate collections and get the best material out there okay well as uh the one hoping for the communist ideal at some point in this country um i don't put much pressure on people to on corporations to change to uh change the um structure and the format um like with wrestling it's okay there's not enough women right now and then you have with AEW, they hired you know so they've got so much great male talent which is hyped up when they hired them that, okay, why can't we get them on that show? And I don't want to say it's because of the women's segment, because we do need, I, I mean, because they've got great women wrestling, but you can't expand one if you can't expand the other, basically. Right. And I think, and I don't blame corporations for, um, just appeasing the masses and sadly you have uh the issue being and this comes back to uh i don't want to you know to mom basically being in the club of calling comcast up in peoria area because it didn't work in champagne to get tcm back on the cable line like um like it's basically something that i i don't know i don't really know it's just basically you know you got it if it's not a problem to your bottom line you don't have to worry about fixing i mean it's they're not supposed to be about the culture i mean they're they're supposed to be about making money sadly i really wish we had you know it's it's all about how you start your business really if you can go and like if you can go and start making changes culturally 
if if you're if you're dedicated to making you know to listening to sadly minorities at least opinion wise or silent might definitely silent minorities or it could be a silent majority it's it gets nuts now we're getting into you know why we're gonna have to worry about trump in four years um but i'm, I'm just saying like i really wish that there was a way to change things that to motive i mean to motivate to change things but if the numbers are looking a certain way why would you gamble on changing it just because you have the money sadly we're in a speculative economic system look at gamestop where you don't you know and look at the fact that everything is a franchise everything is being remade you got to go with guarantees wow with that, with that said um if we'd all just go to socialism and work towards a communist ideal, which is what Star Trek is all about, if we just put our heads together and accept that, where are the aliens' invasion to make us to force our hands? We can get to that. A perfect world, Scorsese, Scorsese's wishes would be recognized. It ain't perfect. Well. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss? I know it hasn't. We haven't focused as much on individual titles this week. Well, and I think we're gonna have to. Obviously, I think we're gonna have to bring it back to that. But it gives me uh, some thoughts about film history, honestly. Um, so I know um, I'm not. I don't exactly have a collection that uh, is very has a lot of history to it dare I say. Oldest movie I have is uh, Pandora's Box by Pap, you know, Warner Paps. Right. And um, I still haven't gotten around to really sitting down and watching it. Yeah, and that wouldn't fit your 90 for chill parameter anyway. Right, which is actually something I'm, I'm going, getting to. It's like uh, when you look at films like Philadelphia Story, which I've seen most of, and I kind of like, okay, you could definitely tell this is a play because nobody's speaking over each other and such. Right. Dialogue and such. Um, and I could even say that with Casablanca, which just barely misses 90 for chill. Um, yeah. Uh, but, and I, you know, obviously I'm not going to bring up Citizen Kane because that definitely doesn't make it. Um, I kind of find that in history that um, there's a time, there's a period where you know, if it wasn't really original content, and a lot of it is just play adaptations. Uh, yes, in the early days of talkies. Right. Uh, people people were still used to going to the theater and getting up and have a smoke and a cocktail halfway through. Right. And I think, uh, you know, we kind of, by the 70s, we definitely lost the intermission in movies. Yeah, more or less. Right. So, but I'm just saying that explains longer run. What I'm trying to do is I'm saying that explains longer run times. It's not about people having more attention. It's just they were used to it. Yeah. And there's also the opportunity for a smoke and a cocktail. Which maybe that's how, maybe that's the next money making scam. All right. If you can get 
forty thousand dollars together, we can reopen the art theater in Chicago in Champaign, and then we stop every movie before the third, <laughs> before the second act. Okay, cocktail and cocktail and smoke break. <laughs> I'm thinking if you want to look into older movies, there's probably something out there that'll fit that will appeal to you if you're willing to do a little work and it fits the 90 for chill parameters if oh, you want to don't into. don't worry about that i can definitely i i want to put the effort into i'm saying that we've got at least one generation i'm not going to blame both the gen i'm not going to blame both gen z and millennials um we got at least one generation that just doesn't want to take the time and i think that's what long why long form is actually uh really coming into to coming back honestly um i.e a lot of bridgerton fans a lot of uh queen's gambit and you know hey as long as it keeps them away from murder porn that's pretty much all i hear about at, at the at the bank is murder porn or um long form art <laughs> um but I, I'm just saying that it's, um, you know, going so far back, a lot of it, honestly, my collection is based on assignments from my two film classes. Right. And, that's, not, that's how some people get into it, and that's fine. Right. And so what I'm getting, what I'm primarily getting at is why I, you know, don't have a lot, I can really add at least 90 for chill-wise right now. Um, what I'm really perplexed is Dr. Strangelove, which hey, that one is neither racist or sexist, my opinion. Okay, lacks, lacks female characters. But uh, that is, uh, does qualify for 90 for chill. Yeah. And, and I'm not gonna, it's definitely probably Scorsese's, not Scorsese, I'm sorry, Kubrick's I'll venture to say third best film. It's up there. Um, which makes me wonder, and I mean, it's the credit to him as a as a uh, director. Now, I wasn't, a, I'm not a Shining fan. I can definitely, right. um, I think uh, Ready Player One did a better, better work The Shining than Kubrick did. But uh, <laughs> a lot of Kubrick's films or early films are pretty short up through Dr. Strangelove. Well, Lolita is a good two. Lolita is the one exception. Okay, because I, I, and I just had a feeling that um, what was the one? Well, Spartacus sounds like it's going to be long. Yeah, Spartacus is a three-hour epic, but that's more of a work for hire thing, anyway. Okay. Want, then there's the, also uh, what was his World War One with Michael Douglas? Glory. Douglas. Is, with uh, Kirk Douglas, yeah. it does fit 90 for chill. Okay, well, that's, I really got to get around to that. But I'm saying the beauty of Kubrick, though, is I didn't realize Barry, when I watched Barry Lyndon, I didn't realize it was three, it didn't feel like three hours. It's a very fast moving for a three hour movie. I was and, expecting to break it up over two days, but. And um, even go back to clockwork, you know, I don't think that does not feel like a two hour movie. No, he was very good at pacing his movies. And not everyone is. I have a copy. I have not watched it. 2001 A Space Oddity. But I know, you know, there's just, that's so many distinct acts. 
Right. It, it kind of feels like a task. Um, I really had a problem with 2001, to be honest. I first saw that when I was about, I think, 16, and I didn't have any problems with it. Okay. Uh, that was when I really getting outside of what I'd been watching up to that point which was, and making choices on my own. Yeah. I mean, we all, hopefully, that's the biggest problem with the your film, film Twitter uh, debacle is that I don't think people, people are so, so, so concerned about uh, fixing things that they're not coming up, they're not trying to speak from their own identity or come up with one. Right. And that's part of it. Yeah. You it, have people. It's one thing to have people who can be obsessive about certain filmmakers or actors. It's another when they're showing this kind of loyalty to corporations, which is part of why the discourse around Scorsese can get so toxic is because you have a lot of people who want to defend a major corporation <laughs> against right. her. <laughs> yeah, just because oh they're not being they're they're being social they're they're recognizing societal changes. No, they're not. They're just profit profiting off yeah. you, and they're doing it to solely make a buck. That's why right. again going back to my wrestling uh, argument. No, <laughs> I mean you're if you can show that they're going to make more money by putting women's wrestling on, they'll do it. But and it's not a sincere effort. And on top of that, so many of these, the Marvel discourse, some of it I'm sure is trolling. Oh. But they would always say that Scorsese only makes movies about old white Italian mobsters, or at least old white Italian men. Okay. Now, now you know and I know that isn't true. Well, and <laughs> I know that a lot of Italians don't consider themselves to be white. So, right. where's your sense right. of there, there, that, you? <laughs> it's brought up too, but um, yeah, I think I think they're white, but that's that's. <laughs> but I understand. People are proud of their cultures. I mean, you know, and I'm not so. I'm surprised that the Irish hasn't taken a chance to say, "Well, we're the palest of them all. We're the best white." <laughs> you know, um, but. I don't know, white's a weird thing anyhow, because in Brazil, where we would definitely say they're all Latin, they would just consider themselves white. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever the lightest skin tone gets to be white, basically, in most societies. <laughs> but I will digress before I insert foot further down throat. Um, but yeah, what really the answer is obviously we need to start teaching film for a semester in high school, but. But how, but that's a whole issue in and of itself, how arts education is supposed to work in a country that's having hard, hard enough time with three R's and has for a long time. Arts education just isn't what it used to be. Uh, right, and, as far as I'm concerned, arts education has never been in this country, but I digress. I mean, we're we're in a like they do it they do it better in Europe. If you can't play, if you can't play great football by fourteen, get into acting. So, talking about older movies, people could look into that fit the ninety for chill parameters and are fun. 
people like science fiction, horror, yes. and fantasy movies, and there were plenty of those. Well, you know, I haven't really dove too much into 50s, but uh, Silent Running, um, I can't remember where I ranked it on my top 10 discoveries. I think it may have been three um, from 2020 is excellent. Um, yeah, that, that movie has a serious reputation. These I mean, days. maybe maybe a little too much Joan Baez for my taste, but yeah, if, that, if that's uh, and hell, Dark Star. Yeah, but the post two thousand one pre Star Wars era of sci fi gets really interesting. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, hell, I've I have not taken the time to watch Logan's Run from beginning to end, but. Let's- one of the weaker ones that's that's considered relatively weak even at the time well what the point is i've you know i've referenced that in probably my most uh prolific uh satire piece uh 40 years enough yeah and uh Um, it, it gets popped up in a bunch of my uh screenplays before my low budget why the hell hasn't this been uh green how, why the hell hasn't people volunteered to help me get this greenlit screenplay about pro wrestling zombies made of end of the dead send emails to rust the bus 07 with request uh rust the bus 07 at gmail.com with requests for treatment and or advice on how to get it out of developmental hell okay sorry plug but you go back to the 1930s you have the universal cycle yeah, which was pretty, pretty wide indeed. It was it became the original shared universe by the end right. of the main run. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, it's. I mean, you, there you you see you see a universal monster. You know, there's something behind it. Yeah, and that's. I don't think anybody will argue that, except these little twats on Twitter that you're talking about but I digress. You're the reason why Tom Cruise's mummy sucked is what I'm telling those little buggers. <laughs> In any case, um, then you, you move on to the 1940s. There's the uh, films Val Luton supervised at RKO, such as Cat People and The Body Snatcher, which is next Boris Karloff vehicle. Oh, okay. Then you get to the, yeah, the 1950s, you have... Um, the great B-movie sci-fi run that includes yeah. a lot of films that did get good remakes later but are still worthwhile, like mm-hmm. the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to get to Incredible I mean, Shrink. From another another world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's a fun period. And The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right, which everybody was wondering why that didn't make it on screen drafts aquatic horror. <laughs> but... Hey, uh, you know, Dagon did so. And why are our mermaids so pe? Why, damn Disney for making mermaids so peaceful. They are sirens. <laughs> they gotta eat. <laughs> um, thinking about other genres, we don't we don't see we don't see Ariel and Titan, uh, King Titan eating any fish. You're telling me they're kelp lovers. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to other genres, uh, a lot of 1930s comedies are relatively short and fun. You can I choose. recall that. Yeah. Marx Brothers. Well, uh, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Chaplin. Late period, period Charlie Chaplin. 
the yeah. late Charlie Chaplin's Silence. Right. Laurel and Hardy did some good work. And if you are in a real bind, a lot of these guys did lots of shorts that are fun. Like they're about 20, like 20 minute two reel shorts that are a lot of fun. Yeah. That's another real change is that kids don't grow up with the Three Stooges the way they used to. <laughs> well, I would blame the Farrelly brothers for that. Take his Oscar away. And you know, Mae West and W.C. Fields, and they all did stuff that was under 90 minutes and it was a lot of fun to watch. Right. Um, I'm just doing a little research of what we're talking. Uh, Angels with Dirty... Oh, there we go. And Angels with Dirty Faces. I mean, that's the... Um, actually, the movie that kind of put me in the... Got the uh, first respect from... Uh, ICC's Illinois Central College's uh, film experts that, hey, I know what I'm talking about. Um, doing a comparison of Angels with Dirty Faces to uh, Ernest Dickerson's Juice. Right. Now that's an in, that's interesting. That's but part I'm of just, another I'm reason. Really just bring why... James Cagney because he's freaking James Cagney. You're definitely going to find stuff with him. Yeah. I mean, he was a movie star, not necessarily a play, you know, Jimmy Stewart. Right. I think a lot of that's, that is also the fact that you still, I mean, some of the deliberation is just because, you know, you didn't have movie stars for a while, you know, for the first, uh, unless you had your, you know, little tramps, your Buster Keatons and such. But there were some huge, part of the problem with silent movies, and they pointed this out on the critic even, is that a lot of the really big names of silent cinema, and there were more than you might think, oh. a lot of work just got lost. Yes. The, the film preservation didn't become a thing for a long time. Like Theta Barrow, who's one of the, one of the bigger stars of the 20s, she was known for her vamp characters that was a whole subgenre of melodrama were vamp pictures mm. uh, um, only one or two of her movies survive now that's how that's how bad early film was kept up and preserved hey, but so it, there were stars back then yeah it allowed eli roth to kill hitler so Sorry, I know you probably haven't so, seen Inglorious Bastards. The movie stars didn't exist that early on. It's just that a lot of their work, the work of, didn't survive. Well, I'm just um, going into the fact that uh, we had an issue with um, theater actors initially in, I mean, I guess it comes to more of the grand effort, efforts of uh, DeVille so well, I, I mean, looking at uh, the sign of the cross, I think it was a lot of these uh, theater actors just not translating over. And it took a took a while before you had your Cagneys and such. To... Yeah, it does. There is that transitional period at the turn of the 30s where they are clear the end of the 20s, early 30s, where they are struggling to figure out who's going to work and who isn't. Because it was important to import theater talent because at least you know the people would, wouldn't laugh at their voices. Okay, yeah. This is poked fun at um, when they made that joke on the critic that the one guy, his career failed because he didn't photograph well in color. 
But a lot of actual silent movie stars like John Gilbert, they simply didn't have voice, they simply had voices that didn't really match their image, so they didn't transition well to talkies. So they started importing more theater talent at that point. It was a, it's a famous transitional period. All right. Um... Those are just a few examples that you can get into older movies. And you do have to deal with problematic elements in a lot of them. But well, that, to... that brings up shivers. Oh, the rapiness of that movie. <laughs> I mean, I think it could be remade. It's just I don't I don't see I just uh don't see how we can do it without all the rapiness. <laughs> and any you have to deal with how things change and you you do have to see them in context, but also admit that that stuff's not okay. Yeah, that's but what I, that's what I'm saying. I love, I, and what I don't I'm saying I should see, I should be allowed to see Disney Plus should have Song of the South on it. I think Song of the South is a special case because that's a more specifically wounding film for a lot of people. Well, I don't know, because I think it's really, I don't know if that's the, that's necessarily the case. I think it's just the first one where he really pointed out. I mean, everybody just regarded, just accepted Gone of the Wind as a, as a classic. And no, no, that's, that's, uh, that's some Uncle Tom stuff right there, if I'm using the term correctly. <laughs> Slavery ain't that bad. Not but you have to you have to work on and this is how you also work on expanding the canon and unearthing other films that can go alongside the more popular titles and then you have a healthier it's just healthier for everyone if you approach it that way that you can have all these different works in a sort of conversation with each other and see how they evolve and while it's easy to say you can just remake things and make them less problematic. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> you're, you're missing. You try to remake something which has something like, I'm not saying um, the, you know, the main element of Gone with the Wind was whitewashing slavery. Right. But no, you have to keep the you have to keep that base. I think now you can right. go and explore it better. It's a daring thing, though, and most people don't want to dare. Right. It it's easier to strike out on your own and find other ways to explore that the kind of material you're not comfortable with. You're right. I I can't remember who said it. It might be have been Jean Luc Godard. But the best way to critique a movie is to make another movie. Yes. No, no, that's absolutely correct. Um, and maybe that's what we need from um, the Marvel Universe, which is currently infallible. Uh, now they could have their poorly marketed solo moment. Solo's a good movie. No, no I mean, most people like say like, yeah that was all just people fear fearing that it's going to be a shit film um but i'm just saying you know you get they get the chance to be daring 
Um, it really, I don't know. It's not going to be the end of the franchise. I mean, Star Wars is going to come back stronger than ever once they get back to the big screen after The Mandalorian. Um, oh, we'll see. Hey, but... hey, 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 Star Wars is going <laughs> is going back to its glory after The Mandalorian. Sorry to Homer Simpson you there. <laughs> I'm just saying there's, aside from Black Panther, which just has to go and deal with the issues straight on, there hasn't been any daringness in the Marvel universe. Is what I'm saying. Uh, right. Now, is there anything else you want to add? Because we've been going on for a while. I think you've got enough for a full episode. Well, I'm, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't doubt that. I mean, I mean, I did some work, but you know, it's more about just me putting the work in, trying to find, you know, pretty much get any kind of seventy-five. I mean, not you know. 100 movie that qualifies for my website site mentioned i mean uh, shivers is like just brilliant horror because of the i mean it's pre-carpenter stuff um definitely i'm kind of disappointed that Stuart gordon uh didn't have uh really i think he only had a production of bleacher bums which makes him even cooler talking about the cubbies um <laughs> before 1980 um i did watch lady snowblood which is a big influence on tarantino obviously i mean it pretty much is kill bill um mm -hmm. now tarantino really was able to expand on that but um i mean it goes back to i think 70s and how it's just because ba ba the attitude was let's just get it made mm -hmm. and um I think that is something that you know, this current generation is missing. I mean, anybody who gets something made right now is a name established. Right. Nobody, nobody's, uh, I mean, Jordan Peele, yeah, he was, you know, he had a successful TV show. Mm -hmm. Keanu is a kitten classic, <laughs> but, you know, he, he did have some, he wasn't somebody unknown, somebody that, uh, I mean, they, well, Blumhouse doesn't take chances. They know exactly what they're doing. I think that's really what I'm getting. What I, what's coming to my head is that I think with cinema now, we have to have these, we gotta, if you want to change the corporate structure of everything, we have to go back to filmmakers who are just going to make films. And most of them will probably fit in the 90 for chill time slot um, because of that. Because um, they're not going to have the money. They're not going to have the resources. But we can still just make movies, I think. And no, if you say so. I'm sorry? Well, if you say so. Well, I mean, it's especially with all these streaming services now, if you can get on Shutter, you'll eventually get get it to a studio deal i think or you could be happy with being on shutter and you know but if you're really great on shutter criterion will come looking for you and that is i think the strength of the criterion collection it's still going to make sure the best things are recognized right so um basically 
again, a pitch for main event of the dead, I suppose, but you know, somebody's got something, got something on their mind, something that can be done. I mean, look, James Gunn came from Tromeo to Juliet to guardians of the galaxy. I mean, let's, let's start not necessarily. Um, well, really it is just like, if you know, somebody has got some idea, why not gamble on them? I'm gambling on the freaking flyers for, for you know, because I like the Flyers. Have a little faith. Newcastle is going to eventually get me that thousand to uh, hundred to one bet that I keep putting on them. I mean, let's let's take some chances where there's definitely. I mean, you know, we're not going to get too many masterpieces supposedly, but we're going to. You know, we just got to start making our own stuff again, I suppose. And you can definitely, there's definitely a way to work around the corporations on that. And I don't know. I think it really just comes down to with this uh, current generation. I'm just going to call them out on it. They are lazy. You know, that, that comes from a guy who can win about any fight he finds himself in, at least from a physical standpoint. But, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people want things to change. I think, sadly, we're coming back to another 80s, I guess. Or we loved the 2010s so much and the, just the instant gratification that were the Marvel movies and the um, Star Wars sequels that... Um, we just don't, we just know it's, we, we know there's good, we know there's stuff that's going to amuse us. So why bother? Right. No, we gotta, we gotta start bothering. Like I hated Jurassic world. Um, more about the fact that it's aliens predator. The Tyrannosaurus gets to the freaking chopper in the end. I mean, Predator, Aliens, Westworld, I mean, all of that. And like, oh, you'll eat it up. But it's like, there's three good movies you could have seen, and two of them could have probably fit in the time frame of freaking Jurassic World. That's a little hyperbole, because I know, obviously, I know the run times. But um, I don't know. You, The only way to otherwise change it is to take money away from the corporations and you don't want a pissed off company that's not making money they got a lot of money and they're going to be bitter about it right so they're going to double down and you're going to like it so another solution is also to just give jeff goldman his own studio where he has to star in every movie that would be interesting. Okay, see now I now I got you bored. <laughs> okay, but did you uh, end up watching any movies, or did you just want to really just tell people that hey, the best stuff is behind us? Unfortunately, I don't think the best stuff is behind us. That's a hopeless way of looking at it. But we have to put in an effort to bring the best stuff into being. And that's going to take a lot of work. I know there's a lot of 
that there's a lot of good cinema out there. It's just getting very hard to cut through the clutter at the moment with the big content hoses, all these streaming services or uh, on-demand services are bringing out. I have to wait for my movies to mellow at this point, but I know there's good material out there. We shouldn't be completely hopeless. I don't know. It's making me feel like we can, we got to figure a way to kill Tony Stark again. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I guess that's just an attitude of mine. It's a lot of the people question, like I, I live in a college town and a lot of people question, like, how do you score higher on the leftist thing while you preach politics? <laughs> because good things take work. I mean, you can't convince, well, I mean, I'm in Illinois, which the people are the salt of the earth, common full farmers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway. Which reminds me, uh, that's something I wanted to bring up because I was trying to get you to go and pull the Mel Brooks there. Um Mel Brooks' comedy was all pretty brief in the 70s, with the exception of, uh, and we're only talking a few minutes, Young Frankenstein, which, I don't know, I will yeah. argue the producers was his best. I oh, that's a pretty strong argument people have made for the producers. I, I think the films in 74 are kind of his high watermark, especially when you put them together. Oh, but... the, sheer, the sheer ambition of those yeah. films. Um, but this leads me to say, like, okay, we had all these pretty quick, brief comedies. I mean, you had the exceptions, like It's a Mad, 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 Mad World back in the 60s. Yeah, comedy doesn't lend itself well to extended runtimes. Right. And I'm, yeah, which is what I'm getting at. But then you had Animal House. And John Landis knocks out of the part. I'm not going to even get into the problematic stuff of that. I could have taken right. 15 minutes off of that. True. Um, I don't think it's as nasty as people say it is. I'm also somebody who says revenge of the nerd war nerds ages well because the word is revenge. I spit on the I spit on your grave is about the brutality expanded upon. <laughs> but uh, John Landis has success with um, Animal House, and his next big success was well wasn't initially a success i think it aged aged better the blues brothers i didn't realize that was two hours 10 minutes and then, yeah it then, was a big hit at the time but it's uh, reputation has only gone up over the years right it and, was but, a substantial hit but what i'm getting at then is then you think john landis you think his next big movie you think you don't think spies like us which does fit 90 for chill you think training places and you're right. coming to america i'm basically blaming john landis for making comedies too long <laughs> I, I mean, don't know ghostbusters is i mean it's probably a three-hour movie if you go and put all the stuff that they had to cut <laughs> I mean, I wanted more continuity to raise BJ, <laughs> more background. So there, that's really all I've got out of the my, uh, when I, when you told me about 
wanting to do pre-70s movie a uh, pre-80s movies is like um kind of how the 80s sucked i guess by making i mean just going into this big blockbuster stuff so yeah i think that's where i'm at um otherwise uh you know you had classics from the 60s not the living dead another paper that got me more reputation as i illinois central college's film expert um how important Sidney lumet's work was primarily 12 angry men is mm-hmm. a movie that should be shown after every trial where uh-oh people might get pissed <laughs> i mean it's better it would be better to jump to henry fonda than to freaking nancy grace <laughs> when we got a controversial court decision um I think that really covers all I've got. So thank you very much, Rory. You you are the poetic critic that is the poetic critic on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm kind of curious because we've obviously been talking about Twitter, what her, your Twitter account is, but if you want to withhold that, I totally understand. Um, you can find me at... Uh, all of my work writing wise is at main event of the dead.com. Uh, it might, you might get directed to other sub blogs of mine, disgruntled real championship wrestling or, uh, anime re- remnants of anime, um, which I can actually say, um, uh, till I watched shivers, I had a pretty, uh, big Japanese week watching, uh, an anime called, uh, Cat Planet Cuties, which harkens back to Tenchi Muyo and El Hazard, in my opinion. So might not be up your alley, Rory. But I don't know. I'm gonna bring up my letterboxed thing here and get refreshed on what I watched this week because I was pretty busy. Well, I also watched the craft this week, and it's like <sighs> if you really wanted to appease girls of that age, why didn't you make it a musical as well? Because you didn't have the clever dialogue to make it clueless with witches. Yeah. I, it, uh, granted, it did give us another slacker bet wreck and mire. Uh, looking at some of the stuff I did watch this past week uh, that fits uh, 90 for chill, I was uh, looking through some old Peter Sellers movies. Uh, if you like, I only stumbled upon it, but Tubi had like his first feature, Penny Points to Paradise. And I thought that was a lost film, Mm. but they had it and it was in pretty good condition too. So I guess there had to have been a restoration at some point. And that would fit 90 for Chell. What other standouts? Most of the others uh, wouldn't fit 90 for Chell that I watched. Well, the craft craft wouldn't count by one minute. I was watching Nashville the other night. That's way too big for 90 for chill yeah it it honestly i hear so many great things about that one i'm kind of intimidated well it was a revisit for me um it's not as intimidating as it sounds it holds together it holds together very it is a lot to take in but it's pretty easy to follow all things considered because the characters are distinct enough and also keep in mind that about an hour of the movie is just musical performances. Well, but that does not a really great selling point for me. But. Well, no, it's very well made. Okay. I, 
I think you should give it a try if you're That's interested. Saying, watch Scorsese's New York, New York. <laughs> um, the question is the direction of that movie. <laughs> they question everything else. And no, Nashville is. Uh, it does help if you're already into Altman. Well, honestly, you see one Altman. How are you not going to be into Altman? That's one way of looking at it. But yeah, Nashville is not as daunting to get into as it might seem from the outset. Okay. It hangs together really well. All right. So, okay. Of course, you can find uh, 90forchill.com, the podcast at 90forchill. Um, honestly, this is this podcast is kind of shortening my movie reviewing, but, you know, really how much... <sighs> Sadly, the written word is dying. <laughs> I think that's it then. Uh, yeah, I can't really think of too much. Uh, again, uh, I can harass people to send me support for Man of the Dead because we need to make our own stuff. Screw the corporations. That's the message of this podcast. The most socialist episode ever. Sorry. Um, <laughs> at rustthebus07 at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, I have nothing. Thank you very much, Roy, for taking the time. I'll, I'll follow up with you on Facebook in a minute. Okay, sorry that. Um, sorry, okay. sorry. Well, sorry that I did. The, you know, didn't give you that. I realized that um, as long as it's only two people, Zoom don't cost anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll see if we cross our paths again this well, way. And yeah, I'll talk to you. I mean, I might. Um, you know, it's it's my birthday week, so. I'll probably be around Peoria at some point. Okay. All right. Talk to you later, Roar. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Now available on video cassette. Give him a week to see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I don't want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. It's three hours short for a bus to get home. You help me out? What are you on? Believe me, I told you. Just don't think of it as killing. Eat man. Eat man. Don't think at all. It's just something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question of time. Nervous? I would be too if I were you. Near dark. It'll be your boys falling in with the trouble. Check out time. some time, son. Come on. God damn, this is my family. Let him go. Near dark. Pray for daylight. 
race. And welcome back to United for Chill, the podcast. This is your host, Cool Movies Darth. That would be CM Darth on Letterbox, better known as Russ Stevens. I think mom and dad appreciate me getting that name out there. Then mom looks at the bumper or stickers on my car and might change her mind, but I digress. And this week we're just going to go and see what happens with the Poetic Critic on Letterbox. That's the Poetic Critic, all one word, correct? Yes. All right. And, you know, me um, waiting for the Spiral DVD slash Blu-ray release so I can drop that episode then. I've been trying to get people to get aboard a vampire episode, but despite everybody liking it on Facebook, giving me those little heart icons on Twitter, nobody's stepping up for it. Uh, It's a little frustrating, so we're just going to see what's happening with Rory here. Neither of us really paid much attention to cable anymore, I believe. No, not something? really. Let's see. She's she's supplying the Disney Plus. I'm supplying the HBO Max. I don't know. Maybe my f- fire stick up in the kids' bedroom, the grandkids' bedroom, the guest room, what have you, might let me access the Criterion channel, but I doubt I can pop that code at home. But, you know, when you spend a, year, a hundred bucks on a service, I can understand you're not sharing that password. <laughs> right. Okay. But with that said, though, I just got an advertisement on YouTube yesterday saying HBO Max now has tiers. Basically, you can, for $10, you can just deal with advertisements. I'm just used to paying 15 bucks for HBO Max, so I don't really see myself decreasing to a lower tier. What would your opinion on that be? I know a lot of people just can't stand commercials anymore. I have, I'm very happy with my subscriptions to Disney and Criterion, and I don't have to deal with ads on either of those. If I were pay, the one paying for HBO Max, rather than sharing it with you the way I shared Disney Plus with you, I probably would pay a little extra to go ad-free. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I don't really mind when Tubi does it runs a few ads. Well, it all depends on what the ads are for when it comes to Tubi, since it's a Fox-owned property, and they are very quick to... I mean, look, being a Democrat is not a problem. You can't make your news advertisements like, and the Democrats. I think you just blew your cover. I mean, at least MSNBC and CNN basically say, you know what's probably true? (laughs) See, I'm saying probably true. I don't want to offend my right-wing friends. I mean, that's probably the most fun thing I've had on Facebook recently is putting an insurrection meme up and having two, um, two, actually three of my professional wrestling friends who actually made a name for themselves in the business <laughs> argue over it. Well, let's go back to the vampire thing because I missed that you were interested in doing a vampire episode. Mm-hmm. Now, I could. I don't think I could talk about enough movies for a full episode if we were going to talk about vampires. Well, you could always go with the concept, as I, you know, I've been pretty much doing recently uh, uh, with uh, the bitter Mitch uh, from Morbidly Macabre. Not going to air up our little rivalry and how we're ruining champagne friendliness on the podcast. But uh, we just did Dance of the Dead. And made two hours out of that. And then we have uh, my recent one with Andrew Tidi, 
uh, stand-up comedian from the Champagne area, which was basically a way of just talking about Ghostbusters. And, you know, maybe we'll get back to... Well, I'll probably try to get back to him once Afterlife comes out. So, basically, I'm out of content for five months from what I can tell. Uh, I digress, though. I mean, when it comes to vampire movies, I don't know. Do you have a particular favorite one? Or do you just no, I don't watch I don't enough? Think, I don't think I have a particular favorite. I've seen plenty of different ones over the years. There are still a few blind spots. I haven't yet gotten around to any of the Hammer, famous Hammer Dracula movies. I've worked my way through much of the universal cycle. Mm-hmm. I saw the other day, because I have been doing, working through 80s movies, I did see The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. It didn't really do anything for me. So, Joel Schumacher at his finest would be Batman forever for you? No, I don't think so. I don't know oh, don't if there is Batman a best. don't say Batman and Robin. <laughs> no, I'm weird. I don't know if I've ever seen something I'd call best. What? Uh, but, I mean, did he direct The Wiz or just wrote that? No, he only wrote it. Sidney Lumet did The Wiz. Oh, great. No, 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 I, that's some trivia I did not need. Well, let me bring this around again. They originally, for The Wiz, they wanted John Batten, mm. who, who, who would have been coming right off of Saturday Night Fever. But he kind of lost faith in the project. I think it, I, it may or may not have had to do with how uh, Barry Gordy was, because Motown was co-producing the film mm-hmm. with Universal, was pushing to get Diana Ross in as the lead. Right. And in any case, Badham decided he didn't want to do the project, and instead, he stuck with Universal, but he did the Dracula remake in 79 instead. For with s- Frank Langella. Okay, alright, I was about to say, dang, that's a blind spot for me, and that's probably one of Mom's favorite Dracula's. It's I mean, a worthwhile movie. Christopher Lee is going to be your favorite, but... Batman's Dracula is good. Mm. It's an interesting take. It, I do agree with those who say it doesn't quite work as a straight horror movie because of the approach, but it is interesting as one of the first romanticized vampire movies. Oh, okay. And in, in that it's not just that the vampire is sexy, but it's trying to romanticize the character somewhat. Oh, right, well, I... It's also got the most slept-on John Williams score ever, perhaps. That and The Accidental Tourist. Well, with um, Frank Langella, sadly, I am a Masters of the Universe kid, so I, otherwise all I really know is old Frank Langella. So it's, was he actually in that... Um, Edward Furlong movie about video games. Brain scan? Yeah. Yes, he was. Okay. Yeah, that's one I still had to give a chance. I mean, it's just so silly. Basically anything with Edward Furlong after Terminator 2, which really was his first film, is kind of silly. <laughs> Green Hornet. I mean, Terminator Darth Fate has his dark fate, had his likeness. But thinking about... I had something on my mind. Um... Yeah, well, I guess um, when it comes to vampire movies, the one I'm really big on from the 80s, despite I love two of the three Lost Boys movies, and I think that's more of just how you look back on the 80s, I guess. You being a little older in the 80s probably was immediately over the concept of slasher horror that broke out and such. Like, why would you enjoy that type stuff? I mean, I'm sure you've seen Halloween. 
No, I had not gotten around to that just oh, I, yet. I figured that would have been on Ebert's list, but... No, it's not on the Ebert oh, list. okay. Then, nope, can't blame you there. So, Near Dark, though, I guess is my favorite 80s vampire movie. Near Dark is excellent. All right, okay. And it's... Uh, I guess they're getting ready to bring that out on Blu-ray in the UK. Yeah. There was a Blu-ray release a, a few years ago. Oh, oh yeah. It was at every Walmart, and I'm surprised it's not to be found anymore. Yeah, what Lionsgate doesn't keep their titles in very quickly. We've talked in other episodes. There's a lot of Lionsgate titles that still haven't made it to Blu-ray at all. I would imagine that would include a excellent vampire movie in um, Shadow of the Vampire. Um, that was 2001. Could be the case. 2000, I think. Like, I went and saw... I had a friend in high, from high school very afraid of his parents. I'm not going to drop his name, but we're from Morton, AC Town. Right. Apostolic Christians. And, you know, when I heard his dad was Catholic and converted to AC, it was like... <laughs> Whoa, it wasn't strict enough for them. But he went to Western, which is a notorious party college. Right. But every weekend he would come back to Peoria to spend the weekend and usually watch at least two, go out to see two, maybe three movies a week, one mm-hmm. a night. And honestly, this started around 2000 and... I'm uh, sorry, it started around 2001 and wasn't too bad um the first few months of 2001 because you had all the oscar bait i saw mm-hmm. crouching tiger at least three times saw traffic uh saw i think a gladiator reissue or something during that time so probably my most most cultured month in cinema and then the 2001 movies came out yeah i and it's interesting listening to screen drafts some stuff gets better remembered than i than i do like valentine almost made their aughts uh-huh. slasher draft shadow of the vampire was one of those movies right and it's interesting to say it was 1979 stracula that first romanticized not not, not very first, first but all count orloff wanted with some love I, I thought it was always a romantic concept no, as people say, it's hard to see vampirism as romantic when it involves literally feeding off the other. I once heard it, read it compared to, you can't have, it would be like a man falling in love with a cow. <laughs> well, and I actually uh, brought that up. I have a co-worker at uh, the bank who is a libertarian vegan. So that's kind of a screwy situation, I think, uh... I hate to say it, I think most people want to be conservative. They just have something they're passionate about that they need to see changed. And then they will say, bugger off to progress. Um, I mean, I have plenty of friends who are very much about gay rights, but once they got marriage, it turns to, now give me my guns. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 you kind of have to... I don't want to say there's, you got to be one or the other, but if you're looking, you know, it shouldn't be about having your guns. It should be about how to make sure people safely have guns. I was telling my coworker when I was explaining that, the new coworker, about her attitudes and stuff, being a vegan libertarian. Like, you know, he says that's weird. And it's like, yeah, you see, I can't do veganism because I need the concept that something has died for me. 
This is the closest thing I get to be to being a vampire. The chicken nugget. <laughs> Dare I say, I think I can love a chicken nugget. Definitely a chicken wing. Actually, that plays into my favorite, one of my, uh, the only other watchable Lost Boys movie, which is Lost Boys The Thirst, mm -hmm. where we find out the person that hires Edgar Frog to go and kill the vampires and save her little brother is basically Stephanie Myers. And she goes off about how, oh, you're like, oh, you've heard of my books. Yeah. You're a fan? No. You make vampire. There's nothing romantic about being a blood sucker. So there's a nice, it's plenty of comedy, which I think is what bring either brings you to the Lost Boys. I don't know. I guess it would be the comedy because it's not necessarily a scary movie. So if you're not into all this juvenile humor, dare I say, I can see where it uh, there's a disconnect. While Near Dark is, I don't know, is that one of your classic puberty and, and you know, growing, I mean, at least adolescence stories? No, I think it's more adult than that. It has more, I would think it having more in common with the, the film Catherine Bigelow did just a few years later with Point Break in terms of an outsider being somewhat against his will, conscripted into this group of outsiders that seems likable enough but it's extremely dangerous there's a lot of there's a surprising amount of parallels between the plots of the two movies in that regard especially oh. given the wrap-up mm -hmm. well you can find her at the poetic critic on Letterboxd, so uh you can definitely trust her experience with cinema i mean if you look at my profile i'm still trying to cut down that um five stars being at 22 percent which means I just have to see more movies, honestly. And uh, Rory is far more willing to give anything a chance, I would say. I mean, she might not be up on the modern features, but, I mean, it's a different Hollywood now. I mean, she's, she's basically been around to... You know, the only thing we really missed was the renaissance of the 70s. You know, we both pretty much have seen how, basically, it's all been monopolized. I think you'd agree with that? Oh, no. Looking back at 80s movies, as much as the corporate hegemony did firmly begin in earnest in that decade and squeezed out some of New Hollywood's creativity, there's still a lot more interesting and varied stuff coming out of that decade than we seem to be seeing now, at least as far as mainstream movies goes. I mean, 19... in a... 1984 alone in that December you could have gone to a multiplex and seen Dune or Mickey and Maud or 2010 or Beverly Hills Cop or Johnny Dangerously or uh, Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo came out that month this was one of the things I liked about 80s all over was that it had that more clear-eyed view of just what was going on at the time that's uh, 80s all over, 80 apostrophe S all over, if you're going to be searching your podcast apps for that one. Uh, there's no apostrophe. There's no apostrophe. Okay, well, that's... that's no, a... you put the apostrophe before the 80. That, that's how that works. Oh. No, you're, you're right, you're right, you're right. Sorry. I don't know. Podcast apps don't usually read apostrophes anyhow. And when you're looking for 90 for chill, it's all one word on iTunes and most apps. Just, uh, but trademarks aren't too pricey, I guess, maybe. 
I just don't want to end up like stopping this podcast and somebody goes Herb Abrams on that. Uh, it's for my wrestling fans. Herb Abrams started the UWF in the 1990s. Now there was a UWF in the 1980s, but they failed to actually trademark UWF. So you got this little short Jewish guy who ends up running his business into the ground, doing what he loves, cocaine and hookers. That's an excellent dark side of the ring. I mean, it just sounds fun. But, okay, so 84 was a pretty clear year. I don't know. Then would you say it was a VCR, though, once that really became prominent, that kind of, like, I would say in the 90s, like, there was, you had two real movies a weekend going head-to-head, like, uh, listening to the um, Cinema Snob, uh-huh. Which really tells me I just gotta move my ass up to Chicago land. And all the all the cool internet guys are up there. Of course, you got those guys should realize that the internet started in Champaign. But I'll digress. He was talking about seeing Judge Dredd opening weekend, which I think I did too. Mom wanted to see Armando Sante. Wonder if she's ever seen Grizzly. That's that's what immediately makes me wonder. But she said that. Brad, the cinema snob, basically said he saw it with his dad, but his dad asked him. So, opening this weekend, Apollo 13 or Judge Dredd? Oh, we're definitely seeing Judge Dredd. And in his defense, I have not seen Apollo 13, so take that for what it is. Maybe I'm disqualifying myself. We both agree Spiral is a B. That's one of those weird ones, like... Allie was, uh, bought me a new co- a copy of New Mutants, forgetting the second episode of this podcast that I already reviewed it, but I figured she would like it, because I liked it, and she did, And but I did give her a heads up before she was going to watch it, I might be in the minority, and then she asked, well, I ended up liking the movie, what was uh, wrong with it? And I sent her a text message back, and... You know, I really can't question everything that I wrote down in this text, which I've picked up from critics. Lack of character chemistry. Not a lot of mutant stuff. Poorly directed and marketed. No real death of any characters. No stakes. Not a good fit to the franchise. Nothing memorable. But I still liked it. (laughs) Which is kind of like how the cinema snob gave a B to Spiral from the Book of Saw while his, uh, co-reviewer Doug gave it a D while Brad said yeah I can't disagree with anything that you you have said in your D review 80s movies and vampires really so you got near dark I don't know I didn't take the time to look at it uh, yet but um once bitten not once bitten once bitten is fun I don't I think I'm sure you saw once bitten I haven't got around to that yet well, you, you had work a, at working on. Well, yeah, but you had a big Carrie, Jim Carrey period. Yeah, in, but in the mid nineties. No, um, it was the turn of the millennium more than the mid nineties, but well, that was one I still never got around to. Well, I mean, you were, I think, had the same love for the Riddler from Batman Forever as expressed by the professional wrestler Cody Rhodes, who had to spend five years portraying the character of Stardust basically doing the same and he said no that's my sole inspiration for the character but it wasn't one spin i was thinking of it was um the very tan vampire george hamilton 
Love at First Bite right. from yeah. 79. Yes, was that one you have first seen, or? Uh, I vaguely remember it, vaguely remember it was on cable a lot as a kid, but I never mm-hmm. watched it stem to stern. Yeah. Well, I mean, canned vampires just don't last too long anyhow. There's a professional wrestler again, Gangrel. And uh, I'm sure it wasn't the wrestler Chris Hazard that I traveled a bit with in Peoria um, who brought it up, was the first to bring it up. How does it work being a tan vampire? <laughs> Great, kid. You just spoiled 10 years of my game. I don't know. You've been catching up on 80s movies, and I we weren't prepared for a vampire talk. Other ideas, though, I've come up with for the podcast, and this again goes back to uh, morbidly macabre. I think you're getting enough love, me pushing you. They do an excellent episode on the 27 Club, and I will say their Benoit episode serves the person of Chris Benoit well, just not the wrestling business well. That's all I said. Did not need a five-minute rant after you talk about the 27 Club. You were familiar with the 27 Club, correct? Yes, I've heard of Thank you. So... But they kept on doing Dewey Cox jokes at some at one point. That's like great. So I got movies about fake music comes to mind, like UHF that never gets enough love on this podcast. It's an interesting dynamic between mom and dad because it's like I think dad actually watched UHF before he let us watch it since it was a PG thirteen rated movie. Maybe I don't know. Well, he just put it on for like, I got this, and put it on for us. And while Mom hated Weird Al, I think, pretty much. But it's funny, I was at the uh, diaper party for our little brother, who's expecting a kid, I think, in a couple months. He was trying to expand our musical taste. I mean, not the R as in, the royal R as in the bar patrons. And started playing Don't Pay the... Fairyman? Yeah, Christopher. Well, yeah. I don't know what's more scarring, the overplaying of Moody Blues or Christopher really just very much being overt about his storytelling in songs. Hmm. I mean, it's not movie-related unless Lady in Red, was that an 80s movie? No. Okay. I thought there was something with Gene Wilder. The Woman in Red. Yes. And that's the one with the Stevie Wonder soundtrack. Oh, okay. But, uh... We were talking earlier about uh, John Waters and eating dog poop. That just happened beforehand. I don't think there's anything about that. Rory explained the scene pretty well. They were talking about pink flamingos. And I think it's just the fun of making humor ridiculous. Like, you know, you take something very simple, which might make you chuckle, and then you just drive it over the top with appropriate music. And patience. Any other examples from cinema that you kind of... Like, I know Monty Python did it plenty well. Like, ending the entire scene with the guy who explodes from eating with the wait, the um, may, the person cleaning up the mess. But at least... Russ. No, I'm just, I'm leaving it there. But just taking it to a new extreme. Well, absurdist humor is very hard to pull off. There, For any movie that can get it right, there's ones that don't get so far. Um, I've seen the Mr. Show movie, Run, 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 mm-hmm. and that makes a go of this sort of thing, but doesn't get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can kind of, I can see why it wound up getting buried by the distributor. Mm-hmm. 
I just find it very interesting because you showed me uh, Criterion Channel's trailer. Yeah, they're doing they're doing a John Waters program this month. Yep, and because they have a few films in the collection, and thinking about stuff that comedies that go for service humor. I think one problem it now is that a lot of it does end up being more unpleasant than funny. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. I mean, Borat, I think, pretty much nailed it. It's hard to talk about this sort of things because we all have our reputations to protect. Okay. It's hard to describe these sort of things. Well, um, I didn't expect you to lead me into trying to explain this, but it's hard to do that and keep something like this PG rated, or at mm. least PG thirteen. Yeah. But no, it, no, I think it's no, it's just at this point just coming up with stuff um, to talk about. I mean, look at Mel Brooks. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you'd say he's totally absurdist. Blazing well, Saddles is definitely one of the most absurd <laughs> comedies, I think. Like. Never like you can start with the you know the Headley Lamar stuff and then right. then his speech where he's trying to have Slim Pickens write down everybody he needs right and it's but fun to watch it on paid TV on regular cable just because you see which ones they cut out I don't I think he's more meta than absurdist the when he does go into that mode especially the final stretch of Blazing Saddles he's very good at it. Mm. Now, would you want, with that being said, would you have wanted to see Kubrick go as absurd as he wanted to go with um, Dr. Strangelove? For those who don't know, as originally scripted, there was supposed to be a giant pie fight as the finale of Dr. Strangelove. And it was shot. But it was decided it didn't really fit the scene and also... The film was going to co- ended up coming out not long after Kennedy had been assassinated, oh. JFK. Yeah. They thought it might see the timing might be off. The line in the scene where Slim Pickens runs down the the emergency supply kit had to change the line. It was a guy could have a great weekend in Vegas with all that stuff. It was originally supposed to be Dallas. He had to relook oh. the line. <laughs> well, you know, truth be told, I've never really heard that about Dallas's reputation that way. So I think it really works out better. Right. But, no, by all accounts, the pie fight ending just didn't work on the whole. And they found, I'm told it was, it was a genuine absurdist comedian. Spike Milligan, who was a very close colleague of Peter Sellers going back to the days of the Goon Show in the 1950s, who suggested the ending they went with, the Uh We'll Meet Again ending. Mm. This is how I remember it anyway. Okay. It's been a long time. Now, by all accounts, that the pie fight just didn't work as well. And between that and the timing issue, it wasn't worth trying to push. So, when it comes to absurdist, then, uh, would that be, I guess I'm just, it's good for me to get boundaries, and the poetic critic knows how to set those up. (laughs) So, um, what would you say about pre-Annie Hall at Woody Allen? I like uh, the the, uh, early Woody Allen stuff in the vein of Bananas or Sleeper. 
that but I'm just saying that is that more absurdist or yes it is okay it's been almost random sometimes you see I've seen bananas I have not seen sleeper um I love I I had plenty of fun with everything you wanted to ever know about sex but was afraid to ask yeah the early ones do edge closer to absurdism the way the plots work out can feel almost random at times mm-hmm, definitely going bananas. back to uh <laughs> what's new pussycat which was his first screenplay mm. uh well he wasn't happy with how it worked out but it's very but doing absurdist comedy is a very hard thing and i think too often it does get conflated with vulgarity and it can be used well yes john waters is proof of that and but he could but a lot of it's the attitude which was why waters was able to do milder films later in his career but that have the same kind of energy to it oh well i mean i mean looking at the uh original hairspray Mm -hmm. there's stuff there that wouldn't it's pg rated but there's stuff there wouldn't be out out of place in the earlier films yes i mean well i mean i i haven't seen it uh, either Hairspray, but Crybaby. Yeah, Crybaby is pretty much the spiritual successor to Hairspray. Right. So if you like one, you'll probably like oh, the that's other. Good. That's good to know. Um, but I guess we can transition that to absurd, as in just crazy performances. And, you know, if we're going to talk about one Hollywood blacklisted person, Woody Allen, what about your Johnny Depp? I mean, he pretty much, I mean, I think he thought for a moment he was Brad Pitt before he was Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt gets pretty much now equated to being a character actor who just happens to be the sexiest man alive. Well, Johnny Depp kind of had that streak started once he did. Johnny Depp had that legitimate streak from the 90s onward, starting with the fact he was willing to work with people like John Waters and Tim Burton. Because remember, Crabby maybe and Edward Scissorhands were the same year. Oh, you see, I didn't didn't remember that. Yeah, they were released a few months apart. And... I mean, Ed Wood, obviously. Right. He was someone who understood camp and did it well. Mm-hmm. But around 2010 came the huge drop-off, and when you hear about what his personal life started sliding into around that time, it's not surprising that things were going to go downhill. When you're associating so tightly with people like Hunter S. Thompson and Marlon Brando, you're walking on a fine line. You can't have both. Let's let's just I, I think I'll say that. I mean John Cusack, I don't know many Brando stories with him. Bill Murray, same thing. Like you can only travel in a convertible with a blow up doll with so many people and you just can't have Brando. Um I I was having a discussion with uh mom earlier, it was uh, about um something about Native American uh nah, we're Genealogy stuff, and I think it's better to avoid that for my sake. <laughs> Let's just say, listen to your DNA test. Let's see, we've done vampires a little bit, we've done absurdist humor a little bit. I don't know how much of this you're going to find usable. I don't know what the rest well, of this it, it, episode's going to be like. Well, I don't know. It's pretty much, you know, we're, we're at the 35-minute mark, and now we're just, um, it's, it's, diff- it's going to be more difficult having a title for this. 
than anything. Well, what but if you, you run into somebody later this week you want to do an episode? Well, you it's going to... You could just do the greatest hits. Yeah, no, I could probably split this up into, like, two YouTube videos at 15 minutes apiece or so. You know, what did fascinate me and kind of alluded to it was that you've been watching a lot of 80s movies recently. Yeah. And... As it, it, we, we've all pretty much determined that is a weird time when it came to running time. I think we've talked about it with the Ivan Reitman, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray um, episode about how Reitman and John Landis pretty much said, no, if there's funny stuff, we're going to film it all. Ghostbusters, I'm about to say, is a perfect movie, but uh, obviously Stripes and even Animal House weren't. So it's just basically, you said the movies you've been watching not necessarily fit in the uh, parameters of 90 for Chill. What do you think really happened, in your opinion, I guess, and when it came to why we decided to just, you know, go from, what is it, 12 minutes of reels? So, you know, 8 reels to 10, 15, 13 wheels. I don't think the real length has anything to do with this. What is interesting is why movies were shorter in the 80s. Yeah. I think it was Tasha Robinson who was writing for the uh, AV Club website who said it could have been the influence of MTV, could have been just theaters wanting to get more shows in a day, but there is, there are a lot more 90 to 105 minute movies in the, in the 80s than in the surrounding decades. I mean, you do sometimes get titles that run significantly longer, especially anything that was being positioned as Oscar bait, you know. Well, If you're going obviously. to do an epic historical movie, it's almost a given you're going to end up going past two. But otherwise, you have a lot of substantially shorter movies. Well, I find Oscar bait really interesting because let's go back to Woody Allen in 1977. Right. Where his sub 100 minute movie wins the best picture oscar mm-hmm. which it's definitely a five-star movie but I, I i wouldn't put it ahead of star wars i just think star wars is a more complete project than and you know what let's just throw jeff goldblum in here for a quick quick gag or pulling the uh ah i can't remember the name of the author when they're discussing when he's waiting in line at this film and don't you don't you Martin, wish Martin, really Martin um, Marshall McLuhan yes yeah. I you don't know anything about my work and I do not understand how you have a job in academia don't you wish <laughs> real life is this way or the animated bit with right. the uh, <laughs> um, I guess it's like maybe Annie Hall is the perfect Woody Allen movie just because it's kind of a nice little transitionary piece. It's certainly the transitional film. I'm. It's not my favorite. Hmm. I don't know if I have one. Yeah, well, I, I'd say... I don't know, that or Bananas. Because I just... Howard Cosell commentating an assassination is just just gold. But nobody nobody really comes out good from a Woody Allen movie, now that you think about it. You try telling, kid, you try telling these young kids today about... Uh, the wool-like drinking scene <laughs> from everything you wanted to know. That just ruins Willy Wonka for them. <laughs> well. Don't even get me started. I, mean, I just want to save these kids. Don't even get me started on hear no evil, say no evil. <laughs> and that has Kevin Spacey, so it's really like, 
gosh, it's, it's huh. now I now I kind of saying all this kind of makes me wonder maybe we are being too harsh on these t douchebags. I mean, I I've I've had an argument with um well about Michael Jackson since we're talking about Woody Allen like seeing that seeing seeing what I saw from his, uh, leaving Neverland yes. and it's like you know I kind of believe the victims in this case but um, my libertarian vegan friend at work uh, like no it's all like either way Michael once you screw up once you go to court once for this I'm sorry if you didn't do anything no just don't let boys in your bedroom and then I'm gonna it's kind of like well, about face, I really need to watch the Allen versus Pharaoh documentary, if I'm going to be fair. Do you think we've become too judgmental, or do you think this is kind of a necessary reckoning? Like, I don't want to see people not be able to work, um, except maybe Louis C.K., because you bounced back the wrong way, buddy. Going on from, yeah, I just got myself me too and now I'm going to talk about how, you know, they weren't really victims in Parkland. Do you think that's gonna help our um, entertainment business? Because I think in the end, maybe it will. Well. Or do you just? I, I I'm just. I've always been like, it's a dark time, and people say, well, you can't make jokes about anything now. And it's like, no, you just really have to be smart about it. Um. So I'm hoping for smarter entertainment out of this. I'd um, like to think so, but a lot of people don't don't know how to do it. One thing I've noticed on film Twitter is that there is a lot more sensitivity that is sometimes applied in the right places, but sometimes not. There is, such as this need to, for people to agree with whatever messaging they see a movie as having, and not, it's come to the point where some people don't seem to want characters to be making any wrong decisions which totally fails a character has to make wrong decisions right like they want their the entertainment they consume to have the same morals that they do but art is as unique as a fingerprint and as unique as people it's very hard to find something that lines up perfectly with your worldview and it wouldn't be very interesting if it what that was the case now you have to think outside your comfort zone if you're going to appreciate any art medium. Right, well, that kind of goes into, um, dare I say, the concept of critical race theory and the sense that I think we, you know, we, it's kind of, I guess, we're, we kind of need stories told from, from the people of whatever their background is. And we have to stop and listen to said story. And not, and then, but I think you're right, where we don't, we want everything to be uniform in a sense. We don't want to have problems with people, or we don't want to be told that we are problematic, I guess, is, so, I don't know, do you think the audience, is film Twitter just going to be a bunch of bitter people trying to control a narrative, or do you think maybe we'll come out on this as, you know, dare I, you know, just, like, wiser if we, if we just listen to the stories and appreciate the stories instead of trying to come up with uh, a uniform sense of morality. Movies are not church. It is, as you said, it's art. 
Well, the problem is up as much to the pe people who create entertainment as the people and the people who distribute it as it is to the people who consume it. The main problem, one of the main problems with the corporate hegemony we have in Hollywood right now, with many of the major and even most of the minor studios, is that it's seen as a zero-sum game. They're, they're only willing to put so many eggs in so many baskets, so it's a lot harder for anybody to tell the stories they want to tell if they don't tow a four-quadrant, all-things-to-all-people line. And you get rather bland entertainment out of that when you're trying not to upset anybody. Mm -hmm. And you inevitably will anyway, because of the way the current discourse, especially in a place like Twitter, works. There's a lot of, say, the colorism issues that In the Heights has been having, mm -hmm. in that there are valid points to be made. That and, I, and I think uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda got ahead of it and just said, look, yeah, I messed up. Right. And part of the problem is that... Well, Rita Moreno says, you're never going to please anybody. Everybody, so... Well, she didn't handle that well. Yeah. But the point is that part of the problem is that because not enough people are getting opportunities to tell their stories, this leaves projects in more of a bind to try and struggling to be as inclusive as possible so no one feels left out. It's not that trying to do so isn't beneficial for a work of art, but many artists have blind spots, so it would be much easier to just have enough roles op projects open to everybody so you don't have to put all your weight on one thing. It's like what happened with the Pooh on The Simpsons. He was once a fairly popular character with Indians and Indian Americans, as he was a he was a fully developed character, a fun character, but because there were never any other depictions of Indians and Indian Americans in media, that it came to the point where he was an albatross around their necks in terms of cultural representation, mm. and he's no longer and he's no longer seen as just an amusing character, but is something that does get awfully close to something like blackface, no, or at least enacting a stereotype for the amusement of others. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, this goes into a lot of, um, especially the Asian community, trying to, I mean, tell their story right now. And I know a lot of people are over the moon about uh, crazy rich, rich Asians and now you have actors saying yeah we kind of laid into the stereotypes a little too much on that one despite the fact that it gave you know show, gave a large amount, amount of Asians a project but part of that issue is that you're tr saying Asians as if it's one hegemonist group no, it isn't. It's it's uh, homogenous. I right? Mean. No, they they should have called it East Asians or whatever. But that's a lot. That's a far wordier title. Um, we're you now we're walking into the we're we're kind of I guess we're only looking just a preface anything. We're just looking at how people are looking at art right now and trying to figure out how to get over 
people who are just, I don't want to say overly sensitive, because I think you should be very sensitive about um, your representation. But I think it's more about the keyboard warriors who are just trying to be more woke than the next person. Oh, yes. There's always people like that. Yeah. I mean, it, as I say, I'm trying to tread lightly now because we're two white cis people. And, you know, we're just trying to judge the commentary. We definitely should, you know, we definitely don't know everybody's experiences, which I'm saying is, and I think you agree, I think we'd be better off if we got to know everybody's experiences instead of trying to not offend anybody. So I guess we're kind of desperate for more independent film then to come back to... It would be nice if there were more of a thriving art scene in the United States in general, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. We have... The government has traditionally never been very supportive of the arts in this country. Yeah. It's been that way for decades. It, well, I would probably say, what, we have um, a few playwrights and Mark Twain. I mean, um, we've got some great commentary. Um, the guy who wrote The Jungle, I mean, obviously Orwell, 84. I don't know. There's a, it's, it's interesting being an American because it's not, and I can see why. Why are you bringing George Orwell into this? Well, no, I'm just saying in terms of he, great he author. He an American. Oh, okay. Well, see. I blame the education system for just saying, oh, Orwellian. No, it totally makes sense that he wasn't one, but I'm just trying to... Upton Sinclair. See, it's coming to my mind, everything. Um, but I'm just saying we're not... We've never been a very artistic country to begin with, it seems. Like, the 60s was pretty much our peak in a lot of ways with Warhol. And that's still more of a commentary on what is art. So we need more art, but we're not going to get more art, I think, is where we're at right now. At this point, yes. I know, we can't, you can't expect the government of the United States to do anything about anything, sadly. So we're not going to get more art in school, so I don't know. I mean, Pixar, well, even you brought up that Pixar is more of a capitalist interpretation of imagination. That was not my not your discussion. idea. Not my idea. We were just, I was just mentioning that this was being discussed on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to the mouse to make things better? There's nothing I could say that could make a difference as a consumer or even someone who creates in their spare time. The mouse is, or Disney is, yeah, I'm pro the Walt Disney Company as we would properly call it, is going to go where the money is. They don't have any qualms working in places like China. I can't see that. And they've been very slow to try and diversify what they have, be it the Marvel movies or Star Wars. So I think you're pretty much of the opinion, aside from their animated features and however they can expand upon those already established IPs, they just, they're not doing anything for originality, really? No, they only have occasional original concepts anymore. I mean, their next animated feature in Kanto is an original concept. But I think they've become too beholden to the formulas that work. And there, there are tons of videos online that go into this further than I do. But if any company is going to keep reinforcing a capitalist mindset and try to be completely middle of the road, 
it's Disney. Mm. And people are plenty happy to vote with their wallets for more Marvel movies or Star Wars. So there's no incentive for them to meaningfully change. Well, I'm going to say this, though. I've been enjoying the Marvel TV series they've done so far. Um, and it's like, I'm kind of cool with them just spending television money right now. I mean, I think I've still had too much Marvel for the last 23 years. I, I want my Star Wars movies, but I don't know. And with that being said, do you, if Black Widow doesn't make its money, which it's difficult to make money anyhow. I mean, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard was the top movie this week with $11 million. If Black Widow doesn't do anything... Do you think we're going to see a change and probably the end of cinema as we know it then? No, you can't, couldn't put that strictly on a movie like that, not only because we are coming out of an, a unique situation with the pandemic having affected distribution, there's also the fact that Disney planned so far ahead that they have a whole bunch of more movies and shows to work through with Marvel alone. Yeah, but they've that gone. That they can't and, go back on now. Yeah, but they've gone and pretty much pumped the brakes on my Star Wars stuff. They're still doing plenty of Star Wars. Yes, I'm, but I'm just saying it's all television now, really. Like, I don't. They feel that streaming is where the money is well, right now, mm -hmm. far more than theatrical. Okay. That's part of their thinking. They announced that last year when they weren't. They, did the big run where they were announcing all these different projects. Mm. And with the movies, I don't think they want to repeat the problems they had with the sequel trilogy and Solo. I mean, it's been pointed out, they haven't really done much with those universes since they wrapped them up. Merchandising has been pulled pulled back from oh, newer no, characters. I, I, I'm upset that I can't buy my Ray lightsaber. Ray's lightsaber is not Luke's lightsaber. Ray's lightsaber is the yellow blade. Is basically looks like a piece of junk, but it's a it it's our it's it's our piece of junk, people. Um, which does bring me to this, and I think we can close her out. Um, and you liked it on Facebook, something you did catch from my Facebook feed right. when I talked about leaving Saw and spot book spiral book of Saw. Which I brought up to you is like, I think the problem is that we, when you have, when you play a cop character, you're stuck playing the, you should be stuck playing that cop character. Murtaugh should have been fighting Predator, not whatever his name was. It would have been great to have Riggs there, too, but maybe it would have been too, too tough for the Predator in that case. But Chris Rock definitely should have been his cop from Lethal Weapon 4 in um, Spiral. I don't remember any of this. No, I briefly said it. and we're, we're doing this after you got off work, so. Right. But that thing you liked was about how I found that, I found a, a, a couple of people now who like, just like newer stuff, and when they see it, they attach themselves to that more than the original classic stuff. Like, I know people now who appreciate the sequel trilogy, and they're not kids like everybody excuses right. the prequels because they can't you know oh that's a generations star wars right but now we're not to that point like i don't know if it's just having you know maybe ray is now paying off and like 
given some time, like the prequels were given some time, they might the sequels might be able to do something again. Um, because there's an audience for it. People liked Ray and related to her. There might be down the line once Disney exhausts the more profitable concepts. So yeah, so it's basically Disney's just gonna keep doing what they're doing until the stock goes down. Yes. Oh, that's kind of sad. Disney has no incentive to change right now. It's that that big of a company. I don't, and that, even if Black Widow doesn't make money, it's not like any of their recent releases are making huge bank. The market just isn't set up for anybody to do that. Well, Kuala it's an looks issue like it's doing of, okay, but it's an issue of managing loss at this point. Okay, and I think they have enough money that they can man. They can withstand this. I mean, they had they did see a huge boom in subscribers. I would say that the problems the theme parks had due to the pandemic were probably more damaging to the bottom line. All right. Well, and you thought you were never going to use that accounting associates for anything, didn't you? Again, the poetic critic, one of the smartest minds on film Twitter. I'm not going to ask you for your Twitter handle because you probably sort of said it. Uh, but if you're looking for the if you're looking for fun movies, go to Letterbox slash CNDart. If you're looking for the wise movies, go to the five star stuff of the Poetic Critic. If you can find five star stuff, she's tougher than I am. I've had given a few films five stars. Um, so, I didn't say they were necessarily wise, though. Well, um, I don't know. I think you're wiser if you watch excellent cinema. You be, you should become wiser. I mean, it goes back to Obi-Wan Kenobi saying the difference between knowledge and wisdom. But I guess my biggest problem with Letterboxd right now is that, and it's not my problem with Letterboxd, it's my problem with you people out there and your top 150 movies. So I went through the first three pages of this. Oh, I could review this one, right? And then I go back and check out my profile, and it, it lists your films in yearly release. Yeah. Chronological release. That's the default anyway. Right. Okay, so I go to, all right, let's see how many I really have on this sixth page, this fifth page. And we go from... 1979 to 12 Angry Men. People, start watching older movies. Make them more popular. Make my algorithm look better. And I shouldn't say 1979. I should say 1972. Thank you, Francis Ford Coppola. So go to go to letterbox.com slash the poetic critic, all in word, and look at what she really likes and start watching those. That's what I should do tonight. I'm probably going to go home and watch, um, let's see, we're at the M's, I think, in the terms of the, no, I'm at the L's in terms of Allie's Accessory Shop on Etsy's Trash Feature Reviews. <sighs> Not looking promising. I'm going to have to say that. Next week, I will do, uh, previously, on 90forchill.com, a movie that qualifies that I find on Rory's Letterboxd page. 
So with that all said, and thank you for just BSing with me for an hour. I know you were fighting off this sleepiness, and I'm sorry to, but you really came through like you always do. You know, you just gotta grab your, drag your friends. It's not that hard to get a podcast going. You know, drag your friends into one. You know, you got a lot of female friends. You just have to make a clever vagina <laughs> joke in your title, and boom. You know, it's because of this that I'm no. reluctant to work with you. Because... Well, no, it's like, I, I just know a lot of female comedians who complain about all the, it's a ladies' night titles, but hey, it gets them in the door. Like, if you get, okay, I digress, because that's, ah, you are a modest creature. But aside uh, from at the um, letterbox.com, Slash the poetic critic. Do you have any other way things you want to promote? Not today. Today. Okay. And of course, you can find me uh, on Twitter. I know it's a change to at catbusrus, but that's where you get most of my writing updates that are also on maineventofthedead.com. I have my zombie screenplay I'm still trying to get out of developmental hell, or I'd like to say purgatory. You know, be a little bit more optimistic. Um, you can send me requests for a treatment of that pro wrestling zomcom. Um, email russthebus07 at gmail.com or you can direct message me on Twitter as well. So thanks again for coming and I'm sorry, thanks again for returning to the podcast. We don't need any of that other kind of arrival at, on this podcast. Thanks again, and thank you very much again, The Poetic Critic. You're welcome. Can I hear a wahoo?